Coming up this hour, The Bear on KCRW Berlin. It's the show that gives you a front row seat to an evening of great storytelling recorded live here in Berlin. On today's program, stories of chance encounters, those serendipitous moments that come along to change your day and sometimes even your life. We'll hear how a taxi driver became a savior, how a fellow passenger on a bus became a friend, and how two sisters traveling into unfamiliar territory got stuck, literally. Stay tuned. Welcome to The Bear on KCRW Berlin. I'm Sylvia Cunningham. Each month, The Bear hosts an event where people are invited to share stories centered around a certain theme. And each month, we bring you some of our favorite stories from the evening. Today's show is all about the serendipitous moments in life, stories of chance encounters, the kind of people you meet and don't forget. The true personal stories you'll hear tonight were recorded on September 26 at Centrum Danziger 50 in Prenzauerberg. The evening marked the opening of the Bears' fifth season and was presented in partnership with the social networking platform and dating app Bumble. Berlin musician Felix Kommel performed music live. First up on this evening's show is storyteller Deep Dua. Thank you very much. Good evening. Um, yeah, the story is called Blind Date, brought to you by Bumble. Uh, it's a <laughs> shameless plug. Um, just, just for the disclaimer, I'm not paid in any way. Um, not yet. <laughs> but the story happens not too long back. Um, I'd moved to Freiburg and I found myself... Uh, panicking and catching my breath. And I enter my quiet corner of the study room and close the door shut. And I look at my phone, and this is the fifth time I'm going to try calling him. And I call, and I hear the same beep, beep, beep. And as I hear that, my heart sank, and I knew that I'm not going to get in touch with Rakesh ever again. I'm never going to hear from him again. And my breath grew deeper, and as I sat on my couch, um, put my earplugs on, and put in my chant, and as I was chanting, I started meditating. I hadn't meditated in a long time. Actually, it's a coincidence. Five years back, it happened all at this meditation. I, I just finished a 10-day meditation course in India, and I was on my way back on a hot summer day. Um, leaning against the window of this bus, the shanty bus with windows broken and hot air gushing through. But none of this was bothering me. It was super hot and I was lost in my thought or the lack of it. I had just come back from meditation. You see, when you come through this intense meditative experience, two things happen. One, you try to look at everything and find in a sense of life in anything and everything. And second, you think you're holier than thou. And <laughs> It's probably the second for me, and I was lost in my thoughts. And suddenly, the bus comes to a screechy halt. And I'm still taking my time, and I'm lost. And I hear this sound of metal clinging at a distance, very slowly, in a rhythmic fashion. And the sound's getting closer and closer. And suddenly, it stops very close to me. And I look down the aisle, and look up, there's this 
amazing guy with this amazing aura, pretty dark, darker than I am, with wearing glasses, with red check shirt tucked out over his beige pants, and having this amazing smile standing in front. Smile so unique that I had to kind of scoot in and said, please sit here. And Rakesh folds his stick, feels a seat, and sits down, staring into the infinity with that smile. Now, for the next few moments, I'm thinking, how do I strike conversation with this guy, with my blind new neighbor? Should I talk about weather, how hot it is, how beautiful it is? Or should I talk about the next cricket match? Now, I, can't, I don't quite remember how we started the conversation, but all I remember is we had a long, long conversation. It was a long ride, three hours, and we talked, we talked. And I was so curious, I was really wanted to know about life, his life. So Rakesh got blind when he was really small. He lost it to an accident, his eyesight. His parents being poor, looking forward to him for support when he grew older, uh, did not have any money to support him, so they kind of threw him out. And he lived with his uncles, who let him down too as well. So he told me stories about how he left their house in a dark night with just his stick and his glasses. He told me stories about how he found his new place in this blind home where he lives with his friends. He has a few. And he tells me stories about how he plays music at small, small street corners with three people. He told me how he's friends and how they, they struggle with life. And he tells me all these things about stories of joy and happiness and struggle and stories where he left his money on the table the, the night before and couldn't find it the next day just because his neighbor stole. And as he's telling it, I just can't help noticing that his voice is equanimous and he's, he carries that same smile, undeterred by the life. Anyway, so we had, we had a long ride and the time came, it was time to say goodbye. And I gave him a hug and I shook his hand. And in that moment of, I don't know, you want to call it generosity or feeling of holiness, I kind of slip 500 rupees into his hand with a little smile and no change of expression from, from Rakesh. Anyway, we went back home. I went to, back to Delhi, my home where I stayed miles and miles, hundreds of miles away from there. And he was in Ahmedabad. Um, we would call each other and he would pick up my phone every time real quick. I was surprised how, how we would do that. And as soon as he would pick up, I thought he was always waiting for my phone call. He would say, hi, Deep, hi, how are you? And he would tell me stories of what he's done and he would ask me simple questions. Did you eat food? It's hot today. Have you been drinking enough water? What did your mom cook? What did my mom cook? It must be tasty. Simple questions that make you think that you're alive, but that you often ignore. And I would just, I wouldn't know what to talk much but we still kept in touch for a few weeks. And when he would close these calls, he would close these calls with such a beautiful wish that I remember to this day. He would say, brother, I hope you're successful. Don't you worry. You have a brother here and I'm always praying for you. Take care of your family. And we would close the call. And as soon as we close the call, I would go to my bank account, send him some money in that moment of generosity or holiness or guilt feeling responsible towards my little brother. Anyway, time passed by. Um, months passed and days passed. Uh, life got busier. And um, 
I was not a soul-searching, world-traveling wannabe monk anymore. I was not looking for a sense of life, but I was caught in it. And I was trying to react to it. Things got busier, and our phone calls got less and less. He would call, and I would not return for days or for weeks or months, maybe. I, had, I finally had a job. I moved to a new city. I moved to Germany. I was really progressing on my corporate ladder. Um, had a wife, had a kid, and you know, life happens, things got busy. But Rakesh would call every few weeks and I wouldn't return. And whenever I would, he would just continue with the same smile and say, hello Deepai, how are you? And my answers would be short, uninterested. And I would close the call and still do my part, give him some money. And as this day when I sat down on this couch and I was meditating, um, and as these events were happening, I was getting my breath to normal. I realized, it struck me, that it was not him who was needing me. It was not me who was giving him. Today I needed him. In fact, I always needed him, but especially today. I had lost a job and I had been jobless for a long time, and tomorrow was a big day. For the first time, somebody called back and I had an interview, and I needed my brother to tell me, brother, don't you worry, you'll be successful. And as much as I would like to lie myself and say that I'm telling this story, knowing that I can't connect with Rakesh again, as a tribute to him, I'd be honest. I'm secretly hoping that he's blessing me from far if this story gets to him. Thank you. That was Deep Dua with his story, Blind Date. This evening's show is all about the serendipitous moments in life, stories of chance encounters. Next on this evening's program is storyteller Alia Sadakapur. So, my sister and I are driving through Croatia looking for the remnants of old Yugoslavia. Uh, looking for the monument to the resistance and the dilapidated castle of the Black Queen. And we have had this storm cloud that has followed me since Berlin, which is my characteristic when I travel. It's just always following me. And it follow us through, follows us through Croatia. But today is a good day. And today we actually had sunshine and we were able to find the monuments that we were looking for. So, because we were on such a good run, we decided we'll do one more. Why not? Let's just try one more. So, I punch in the monument into our car's navigation system and it starts directing us through the middle of nowhere. Uh, we start driving through a forest that then leads into a thicker forest and every now and then, every hour or so, we come across a small little pod of houses or what people here would call a village. <laughs> yeah, we don't have that back home. <laughs> so, so we're driving through and, uh, and we're following the navigation system and we're noticing it's the, 
the trees are getting thicker and thicker and the houses and villages are getting fewer and fewer and farther and farther between. And, uh, and I remember driving by and seeing and thinking about these little villages and thinking about how nice it would be to be living in one of these little villages and to know the people that you grew up with. And as I said that, we pass by one of the town halls and it is packed. And by packed, I mean there's 10 cars in front of it. <laughs> so, so we of course continue and I'm following the navigation system and what I'm realizing is I am a dumb millennial who has to follow the navigation system through and through. So the navigation system starts telling us, go ahead, go down this dirt road. Okay, I go down this dirt road. Okay, continue down this dirt road as it winds up along the side of a mountain. And of course I do so. And then as I continue to do so, the road is getting narrower and narrower and tighter and tighter and hugging the mountain closer and closer until I realize there is no way the car can go any further. But we're already up the mountain. Granted, my navigational skills may not be that good, but my driving skills are. So I have to reverse down this muddy mountain road down the mountain. And in doing so, about 10 feet from where we started, we get stuck in the mud. So we don't panic yet. My sister and I are problem solvers and we start thinking, okay, so I reverse doesn't work. I go forward, it doesn't work. We get out, we push it, it doesn't work. We start to use our hands and rocks to try and dig out the mud underneath the tires and we're still not moving at all. My sister gets the idea of, okay, if you take out the placemats or the footmats that are in the car and put them under the tires, maybe that'll add traction. Maybe we can go, maybe we can get out of here. It's still not working and the car is not moving at all. So we have to come to the consensus of, okay, we either sleep in this car in the middle of the Croatian forest or we start walking. So we start walking. And as we start walking away, we look behind us and we see that impending storm cloud slowly following us as we're walking through the woods. And as we're walking through the woods, I am desperately on my phone trying to get a signal so I can call some kind of tow company. So about an hour after our walk, I finally get reception. I call this tow company and I begin explaining to them our situation. Of course, they very nicely explained to us, well, of course, what do you think would happen when you went on down this road? And of course, you would get stuck in the mud. And no, we are not coming to save you because we don't want to get stuck in the mud either. Okay, so if you want to help us, maybe the police will. So we call the Croatian police. And uh, they they are initially a little hesitant to assist us. And then they start asking us questions like, okay, are you alone? Yes. Um, okay, do you have your passports on you? No. no. Okay, we're not coming to get you. And they hang up the phone. And this is our last round of phone calls, our last attempt at <laughs> desperation. And as we turn around, the storm is coming and there is this beautiful rainbow pointing where our car got stuck. Yes. Exactly. I have photos of this <laughs> because that's how ridiculous it was. So we continue walking and as we're walking, the storm is co coming. It's getting darker. The animals start to come out and we can hear them as if they're whispering in the bushes like, you know, they, they shouldn't be here, right? <laughs> and we can hear them whispering. And as we continue walking, I hear the familiar sound of padding feet. 
and I can't see anything because it's dark now and I can't see anything but I could hear the sound of padding feet, of padding feet, of padding feet. And I turn around and within a split second a car goes zipping by us as we flail to the side of the road. Thinking that was our last chance, like okay that's it. But then the, pat the sound of padding feet doesn't stop. And it gets louder and louder and heavier and heavier and then I start to hear the panting and then I see the yellow eyes of the biggest German shepherd I have ever seen in my life. And it's tongue out, snarling and running after us and the only thing I could do was to Caesar Milan as hard as I could. So if some of you don't know who Caesar Milan is, he is the dog whisperer. And his famous thing to do is to use his fingers and go and to maintain eye contact. So as this giant German shepherd is running towards my sister and I, my instinct is to use my mom finger to stop him. And it keeps coming, and I just keep looking at him. And at some point, I embrace all of my mom's power within me, like deep down from my toes, like, oh God, sixth grade dances, oh. And I bring that out, and the dog runs after a snarling pant and stops dead in, like, dead in its tracks. Barks again to try and test the water. I maintain eye contact, and it actually backs off and backs away. I feel like it realized that we had a harder night than it has ever had. So, so my sister and I keep walking. We finally get to a bus stop that is literally in the middle of the Croatian forest. There is a tiny little lamp and a bench, and it was supposed to be a bus stop, and we're standing there, and yet again, I can hear sounds. I can hear this padding sound, this padding sound, this padding sound. And this time, I look ahead of us, and I could see the familiar headlights of a car. And I see it coming at us, and I finally decide, I flick on the flashlight on my phone, and I start waving the car down to try and get its attention. And it actually stops. And this guy gets out, and he's kind of a tall, lanky guy, and doesn't say much. And I'm trying, trying to use Google Translate on my phone to explain, explain, I need help. We need help. We are stuck, right? Google Translate's not working. I don't have reception. This person doesn't speak any English at all. I'm in the middle of a Croatian forest. I mean, what did I expect, right? So he looks at me, looks at my sister, looks back at me, looks back at my sister who starts to kind of break down and starts shaking, and he goes, mom finger, and leaves. And he's gone for five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes later, and he comes back, and out he comes, and out also comes this really big, kind of intimidating looking, burly guy with a beard. And a little kid, maybe eight years old. And the guy with the beard comes over to us and he shakes our hand and he says, I speak English. I'm only one who speaks English because I play video games. <laughs> Thank goodness. <laughs> So we pile into this, this little tiny Jeep. We start telling him where we are. And as we're driving, the guy with the beard starts laughing hysterically. <laughs> this road? <laughs> you went there? <laughs> Mounted? No. 
no, 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 no. He's like, oh, oh, no, no one ever goes up this mountain. No, no, no. And the only, and he explains, the only people that do are when they get too drunk. Did you drink too much? You drink too much? I'm like, no, no, it was fine. So they finally get us to our car. They try and haul it out. It actually works, but it takes about like 15, 20 minutes of the hitch and pulling it and pushing it and pulling it. And they finally pull it out. And as we drive with them back to their little town hall, which was the same town hall that we passed on the way, all they do is they look at us and they say, yeah, that guy is my godfather. He saw you earlier when you were walking because he lives in that area. And had you not stopped him, he probably would not have seen you because it's in the middle of the night. And with this story, I guess all I really wanna say is sometimes when the storm clouds are looming over you, there's always, always at least a couple good people out there. Thank you. You just heard storyteller Alia Sadagapur. We're taking a short break. When we come back, our final two stories of Chance Encounters. Public radio programs attract educated consumers and business decision makers. You can reach this highly desirable audience with your company's marketing message on KCRW Berlin. Isn't it time to make our listeners your customers? Find out how by emailing us at sponsorships at kcrwberlin.org or online at kcrwberlin.com slash sponsorships. Hey, you, you've been hearing and reading the news all day. So what are you getting out of it? Are you smarter, more informed, better prepared for your dinner party later tonight? Well, The Takeaway has you covered. We ask the tough questions, we hold lawmakers accountable, and if something just doesn't seem right, we ask, how did we get here? It's The Takeaway with me, Tanzina Vega. Tune in to The Takeaway weeknights at 6 on 104.1 KCRW Berlin. Welcome back to The Bear on KCRW Berlin. I'm Sylvia Cunningham. On the last Saturday of every month, we bring you stories recorded live at Bear Storytelling events here in Berlin. These stories were recorded on September 26 in Prenzlauerberg. The theme of the evening was serendipity, stories of chance encounters. The next story comes from Galina Fedelova. Her story is called, What are the Odds? Um, I'm actually from Russia, so before moving to Berlin, I was working in Moscow, and my job was a personal assistant. So I think everyone understands what the personal assistant means. So literally, you have your manager, and you're like doing everything for this manager, like you're um, getting with a lot of documentation, you're like putting his schedule that everything is just, just all right, and of course, you're organizing the business trips. And I can say that I was really good in organizing the business trips. What I mean by that, um, when he actually says like, yeah, I need to go to that city tomorrow, I could find everything for him. Like the best hotel, the best uh, way actually to get there. So he will always feel safe. And at some moment I realized why I always doing it just for him. I can do it for myself and for my friends. I'm good in that. So I said like, okay, I will organize a, a trip for my friend. And since I live in Moscow, I, de and I decided to actually give her 
a chance to go to St. Petersburg because I'm a big fan of St. Petersburg in general and said I'm a really, really good guide. I'm also good, a very good personal assistant, so I will make a dream trip to St. Petersburg for you. And she said, that, yes, of course. I said, do you need any help? I said, no, step away. I'm doing it for you. I'm organizing everything for you. And I did everything. I found the hotel. I found the train tickets, everything. We went there. And actually turned to be very nice because uh, the thing with St. Petersburg, it's actually the same thing with Finland. You never know how the weather will actually react. And it was October, but it was really good. It was like sunny, almost plus 20. A most beautiful fall that you can actually imagine when you go to Russia and you actually go to St. Petersburg. And I showed her around, I showed her everything, like the local cafes, the small restaurants, uh, the castles, uh, the sightseeing, everything. I actually even showed her a very nice crafted beer. If you don't believe that there, there is good crafted beer in Russia, it does exist in St. Petersburg. <laughs> and it turns out that our trip was so good that we didn't want to leave. It was a weekend trip, but we also realized that, yeah, we need to come back to work, we need to come back to Moscow. It's eight hours trip by train. Like, so coming back to real life, we had our train tickets, everything. And, but we were like literally keeping this like, you know, very, very last moment. Then we just uh, realized that we have 40 minutes before the train to go back. And also we had our staff still in the hotel. So I told my friends, I said like, okay, I'm going to the train station. I will try to figure out what the gates, where the train is, and you will go to the hotel. You take our staff, we, we meet actually at the train station. Another thing that we, another challenge that we actually had is that we couldn't really call to each other. We can only like send messages because somehow like the connecting was not really that good. And I'm going to the train station I'm trying to find where the train is. I can't find it on the board. It just doesn't exist there. I'm looking at that, it's just like, there's something wrong here. It's just a probably mistake. And there is like free uh, cab driver standing there. And they said like, you need to go to Ladersky. I said like, usually in Russia, we don't really trust cab drivers, especially the cab drivers on the train stations. <laughs> just look at them, just what you're talking about. Like you need to go to the Ladersky train station. And we are like at the central tra uh, train station. I'm looking at my ticket and then like 40, like probably like, f like half an hour before the train's supposed to leave, I realized that Ladersky is not the title of the train. It's title of the train station. And it's actually a different one. Because I thought like in actually in St. Petersburg, there's just one train station. I'm looking at it and just like, damn. Our train is almost like close tonight, so it's literally meaning for us that right now in, in we need to find another train. It will actually will be like cost of like triple money. Also, it means that we are losing our first working day, so we literally have to like come back on Monday. I don't know, whatever. And I can't actually call my friend. She's somewhere trying to pick our uh, to pick up our stuff. And I'm looking at this cab driver. Said like, you know, I'm fine. <laughs> I'm missing it anyway. And said, so like, no, 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 wait, 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 wait. We have a solution for you. We'll like actually like drive you to another train station. It's not the first time that somebody like confusing us. Like, just like give us a chance. I said, nah, no, I think I'm fine. I was just like, we'll figure out on our own. And I'm waiting for my train. Uh, I'm waiting for my friend. I try to call her. Of course, it doesn't work. Then she comes. Like, she comes back. We still have 
like around 20 minutes before our train. She said, that, and I tell her, like, you know, it's over. We're like, we're missing the train, we need to find another ticket. We probably like have to also write to our worker that will not be in the office tomorrow. And we still have these cab drivers like, wait, no, there is still a chance. Let's do that, let's do that. And my friend, because she actually has more guts than I do, she said like, let's do that. And she's actually running towards the car. And I'm just like, wait, what are you doing? You even don't know that person that might be a maniac. And other cab drivers say, no, 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 he's not a maniac. M Misha is actually a very good guy. You can trust him. So I'm running after my friends because I can't leave her. We are jumping into this cab. We are like start driving crazily fast, literally violating all the rules because we need, because usually the distance is like 30 minutes, but we need like somehow to manage it in 10. And we are like sitting on the back seat. I'm sitting like that. And I'm just like crush my friend and saying, you realize that we, ha we have no cash to pay the cab driver. And just say, you know, shut up. And like the rest of the trip, I'm just sitting like that. So like, okay, whatever happens, whatever happens. We are actually driving to this train station. And then it just, you know, it just starts like, it, remind, it really reminds me of the comedy because it's like a completely new train station that I never knew before. We don't know where the train is. We just start running from one angle to another, trying to find uh, where the gates are. And while we were running, we start collecting more idiots like that, like us, who also confuse the station. In the end, there are just like ten people ri running, like after the cab driver, <laughs> trying to find the way out. When we finally did that, there was a our train who already started moving, and the train server lady just starts screaming, "Hurry up! The train is moving!" And we are jumping right out into our wagon, and my friend, she actually like takes like fifty rubles which is actually like around 80 cents and gives it to the cab driver. <laughs> you know, just gives it just like, I'm so sorry. <laughs> His face got white. His eyes start tinkling. And I look at him, he literally was actually like, was that close to start like, like to punch us if he has like his last chance. And said, so like, no, just give me your phone number. We will pay you back like tomorrow. I'm sorry, we have no money. And while the train was moving, I was writing down his number. Then we actually like came back and crashed out the seats. I'm looking at my friend, and I just like, what the hell just happened? <laughs> I couldn't even realize what how the entire situation could go. I couldn't say like, yeah, even being a very good personal assistant, somehow these things just happen. But I also thought, what are the odds when a cab driver that you don't know brings two silly girls who confuse the train station to the train, which goes to another city, and these girls are giving 80 cents back but in the end, in the very next day, they pay to that cab driver. Just a matter of thank you. <laughs> That's a story. You just heard What Are the Odds from storyteller Galina Fadalova. The final story on this evening's program comes from Mike Trupiano. 
I'm in the Mediterranean Ocean. The water's up to my neck. It's August. It's warm. But the, the water is very cool. The sun is beating down. It feels fantastic. After Berlin, after a, so much Berlin, just to get into <laughs> this first time on the French southern coast. I've seen so many movies about it. I'm finally here. How did I get here? An hour or so before, my wife biked, my wife and I biked here from our Airbnb. And we got to, we got off the bike path and we came to the beach. It's spread on both sides. Over here, there's a group. Over here, there's a group. Well, what do we do? I don't know. That looks better over there. Let's go there. So I'm in the water. And I have on swim trunks that you have to wear if you go to a public swimming pool in France. It'd probably be illegal in my hometown, <laughs> in the middle of America. They're very tight, very revealing. <laughs> and I bought them a few years before when I was in the north of France and I tried to go to a public pool and they said, you can't be in the water with those American swim trunks on. <laughs> so I left the water and I bought these and I have had them ever since. But they feel, you know, almost sinful. <laughs> I, I had a traumatic upbringing. I, I was raised Catholic in the middle of America in the 70s. And that should qualify me for therapy. Lifelong paid therapy. It was all, it wasn't the most pro-pleasure place in the middle of America in the 70s being raised Catholic. Uh, at school, we had to go to confession once a week. We had to go to mass once a week. At home, we went to confession once a month. We went to, conf we went to church twice a week. That's three churches in one week, three masses and the constant confession. And I feel like these, you know, when, when you go to confession, I don't know who's Catholic, but maybe you've heard, you commit a sin, you, you get a, a penance, 17 Hail Marys. Father, I lied. Here are the details. Okay, 22 Our Fathers. These are prayers for those of you who don't know. I feel like these swim trunks are like 10 Hail Marys. <laughs> But it feels so good in the water. But I'm very Catholic, and I, simultaneously, what comes with pleasure is fear <laughs> and anxiety. And it was such a hothouse of Tennessee Williams repressed sexuality growing up in the middle of America in the 70s. On the radio, you know, you're going to confession during the day. At night, you're listening to the Eagles, Witchy Woman, uh, Led Zeppelin, living, loving, she's just a woman. As a boy, you're like, what, what, what is going on? 
uh, Fleetwood Mac, You Make Love and Fun. It's a, and this is when cable TV was first starting. There were three main stations. There was HBO, which was sports, boxing mainly. Showtime, which was, I don't, it was very vague, some kind of boring movies. But then Cinemax, which colloquially was known as Skinemax. And this is where we were introduced to the forbidden pleasures of, you know, the visual flesh. <laughs> and watching, you know, I was supposed to be downstairs in the basement watching baseball. But very often I, I would be, and then as soon as parents went upstairs, I'd switch over to Skinamax. And I'd see classics like the classic Joan Collins vehicle, uh, the bitch, with the classic uh, trapeze over the swimming pool scene. We've all seen it. <laughs> Enveloped in sin, you knew it was wrong, even to think about it. And then you go upstairs and you go to bed, you say your prayers. So I'm in the ocean in France, and I look toward the shore, and what do I see? Utter decadence. <laughs> Everywhere I would look, sin. This is a clothing optional beach. This is our decision that we made. We could have gone right, we made left. <laughs> and here we are. And this is the pounding anxiety in my head of like, I feel like I should do this. I don't think I can do this. And I got the Pope yelling in one ear, and then my mother in the other. And I see these guys on the beach, these totally casual guys with their arms akimbo, just letting it all hang out. And I'm like, Fuck you, man. <laughs> Yet, I envy them, and I want to be like them. And everywhere you see families totally au natural, chatting, dogs totally natural, <laughs> children. I'm getting a pounding headache. This is the Rubicon of my life. I have to cross this. But what lays on the other side? I don't know. It could be freedom, probably damnation but it could be freedom. And I start moving slowly toward the shore. And I say, you know what, screw it. And I take off the trunks. The water's still up to here. <laughs> Already just taking off the trunks, I don't know how many Hail Marys that is. <laughs> 50. And I'm thinking, all right, is that enough for today? Can I go further than this? And I see these guys on the beach just like totally letting it hang out. I'm like, God damn, I want that freedom. <laughs> I just want to throw the Pope off my back. And I start moving. I'm like, am I doing this? And I feel like I'm, I, I'm moving toward the shore. It's like something's pushing me. The water's feeling very French. It's like pushing me forward. <laughs> it's like, come, come escape the Midwest. <laughs> the water's up to my chest, then it's 
and I'm feeling wind on my chest. It's up to my stomach. I'm feeling wind on my stomach. <laughs> then I'm feeling wind and sun on places I've never felt wind and sun. <laughs> and I'm standing there. And I, I, I swear, I, this is how I remember it, but I remember everyone applauding. Grandmothers high-fiving me. I don't know. This is how I remember it. And then I turn and I look at the water. And I think, this is it. I'm doing it. I'm doing it. And I look to the left and the right. And there's the old guys over there just letting it hang out. And they nod at me and I nod at them. And they're like, welcome. Thank you. That was Mike Truppiano with La Rubicon, our final story for this evening's show. These true personal stories were recorded live at the Bear on September 26 at Centrum Danziger 50 in Prenzauerberg. The Bear was created by Diane Nyman and inspired by The Moth. You heard live music in this evening's show from Felix Komal. Our show's theme is I Need Love, remixed by DJ Spectre. The next live event of The Bear will be on Friday, November 1st, in partnership with the Max Delbruck Center for Molecular Medicine and in celebration of Berlin Science Week. Scientists will leave the lab and enter the limelight to share stories on the theme Eureka, stories of discovery. If you'd like to tell a story or attend the next Bear Storytelling Evening, go to kcrwberlin.com slash thebear for more information. I'm Sylvia Cunningham. Thanks for tuning in.